your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Everyone grab your Bibles. Turn to, to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. Are you glad to be saved? Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter number 2. Uh, we're going to continue in our series in Revelation. We're on the second letter uh, to the seven churches in Asia Minor, the church of Smyrna. And uh, we're going to have a great time tonight. I've got a lot of stuff I want to give you, information. And uh, uh, some of it's going to be a lot of reading, so, but it's interesting, so it's not going to be boring, all right? So y'all bear with me there. And uh, anybody need an outline? Anybody need an outline? Maybe you forgot to grab your outline real quick. Wouldn't you know a Griggs would have forgotten her outline? Amen. Come on, Joy. All right, real quick. Brother Melvin, you help him with that? All right, all right. All right, raise your hand real quick. All right, here we go, way up to the front, way up to the front. Got, got one here. All right, y'all good, y'all good on the shelf? Y'all good on the shelf? All right, here we go. Amen. How many of y'all was in that, that line of five million people that was here last night? <laughs> My soul. I can't imagine how somebody waits four hours in line for five dollars worth of candy. <laughs> One thing about it, they all had fun, amen? Hey, I will say this, I will say this, all joking aside, uh, even the ones at the end of the line, I, I didn't see any rude person. I mean, everyone said, thank you, thank you, tell them thank you, thank you, you know, so that, that was a blessing, that helped my feelings a whole lot, amen? <laughs> amen. All right, are we all ready now? Everybody got your Bible, Revelation chapter number two? And everybody got your outline. We all good. Everybody good. All right, here we go. Verse number, verse number eight. Verse number eight. When you get to verse eight, say amen. amen. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Say amen. amen. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt, of the second death. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to be in your house tonight. Lord, thank you for everybody to come out tonight. Lord, they're here and they're hungry. They want to study your word and they want you to speak to them. Lord, help me. I've got a lot of information. I've got a lot of uh, uh, stuff I want to give. But God, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Look, information is not life-changing. Your word and your spirit and your power is what's life-changing. And God, I pray that you will change and develop and encourage and lift up, Lord, those who are broken, those who are, are needy, those who have, have been persecuted for their faith. I pray that you'll just help us tonight. Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll have to be honest with everybody. I'll have to be honest with everybody. Uh, we are, we are going to read a letter and study a letter that was given primarily to a persecuted group of people, a persecuted church. Now, I'm not talking about a church that had to go to church in the summertime without the air conditioning. Are y'all with me? Say amen. I'm, I'm talking about real persecution, persecution under the point of death. Uh, with the encouragement that we receive, and I want to give that encouragement. I want to show you what Jesus said to him, but, but I, I think there's going to be a little different uh, outcome or a little different response uh, for us. And, and what I mean by that, I'm not sure that this is going to be uh, uplifting to us or encouraging to us as much as it's going to be challenging and convicting. You say, preacher, what do you mean? What I mean is this, that if we was to list the persecuted Christians, we wouldn't make the list. How many of y'all had to go through a roadblock to get here tonight? How many of y'all had to sneak through a jungle? How many of y'all had to, you see what I mean? But this is happening. This is happening. Christians are being persecuted 
all over. Matter of fact, matter of fact, our project, our project, our Nigeria project is going to be centered in one of the most Christian persecuted uh, or, or, or areas of the world where Christianity is persecuted the most. So this is, this is real. This is really happening today. It's just not back in the Bible days. And I, I truly, I truly want to challenge it. And I, I, I truly want God to convict us and, and let us see not just how privileged we are, not just how, how, how blessed we are to be able to, how many are glad we got air conditioning? How about padded seats? And, and, and freedom. You didn't have to come tonight. I'm glad you did. But we, but we didn't, we were not forced to stay home or forced to come. We, we, we're, we, we we're so blessed. But, but we need to keep in mind and we need to understand that this isn't everywhere. That there are Christians who are really, truly in fear of their life, but they're staying faithful to Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, all right? Here, here in this letter, if you're new tonight, we're, we're going through the book of Revelation. We are in the seven letters uh, to the seven churches in Asia Minor. The first letter was to Ephesus, and now we are in the second letter, uh, in the, in, and he is writing. And remember what we said, there really, really there's, three, there's three things that we can take from these letters. A primary application to that particular church to that particular group of people, uh, this is a, a real letter to a real group of people during the, the Apostle John's time here at, at Patmos, and there is a primary application to them. But then there is an application to all of us because we all face what the troubles and the difficulties and the problems that those churches face. So this way we can apply this and help us. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay? And then there's a prophetic, there's a prophetic application. We, we see that God is describing the church age in these seven letters, seven different periods of the church, and, and we're going to be able to talk about that a little bit tonight. But before we do, uh, you've got your outline, but let me give you some background information of Ephesus, or excuse me, Smyrna, before we get started. And it, it, it may help you understand why the, the, the people are going through what they're going through and experiencing what they're experiencing, all right? So we find the first church period, which is Ephesus. That is the apostolic church age, all right? The apostolic church period uh, during the very beginning, first century church. And now we're going into the persecuted church. Say that with me, the persecuted, the persecuted church period, okay? So let's look at this. This city, Smyrna was long a staunch ally of Rome. In fact, its citizens were so infatuated with Rome that in 195 B.C. they built a temple in which Rome was worshipped. A century later, the Roman general Sullus, his ill-clad army, faced bitter winter weather. And when the Roman soldiers' plight was announced in the general assembly at Smyrna's citizens, they reportedly took off their own clothes to send to them. Rome's rewarded Smyrna's loyalty by choosing it above all other applicants as the site of a new temple dedicated to the emperor Tiberius in A.D. 26. And when an earthquake destroyed the city late in the second century, Emperor Marcus Aurelius rebuilt it. In other words, Smyrna and Rome were tight. They were tight to the point that the citizens of Smyrna basically worshipped Rome and everything about it. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay, now watch. Although, although Ephesus and Pergamum equaled or surpassed it in political and economic importance, Smyrna was said to be the most beautiful city in Asia. It was located on the Gulf of the Aegean Sea and unlike Ephesus, was blessed with an excellent harbor. Smyrna also profited from its location at the western end of the road that ran through the rich Hermas River Valley. And in addition to the natural beauty of its surroundings, the city itself was well designed. It stretched from the bay up the slopes of the Pegasus, a large hill covered with temples and other public buildings, and the streets were well laid out, with the outline ones lined with groves of trees, and Smyrna's most famous street, the Street of Gold, curved around the slopes of the Pegasus. And at one end was the Temple of Sebele, and at the other, the Temple of Zeus. In between were the temples of Apollo, Asclepius, and Aphrodite. Smyrna was a noted center of science and medicine. And like Ephesus, it was granted the privilege of being self-governed. And it was also one of the several cities that claimed to be the birthplace of the poet Homer. So now, 
you see this is a very wealthy city. It's a very uh, a populous city, one of, the, one of the greatest in Asia at that time. And they were tied into Rome, tied into Rome, okay? Now, here's, here's what John is sending this letter. Well, actually, excuse me, John is the penman, but Jesus is the writer, right? He is sending this letter to this group of people, and this group of people are greatly, greatly persecuted, okay? Now, why is that? Why were they going through the persecution that none of the rest of them were? Now, we know Ephesus, uh, that, that, that group was persecuted to a point, uh, but not like, not like this church and not like this church age. Why? Because there's really three basic reasons. This is not in your notes. If you just want to write this down, that's fine. If you're not, just, let's just listen and, and you'll understand why they're going through great persecution. One, they were oppressed because they would not bow down to pagan Rome. They would not bow down to Rome. They would not worship the Caesar. If you, if, you, if you study your history, you'll find out that the Caesars believed that they were gods. And they demanded people to worship them. Even to the point that yearly, and we're going we're to talk about Polycarp, the, the pastor of Smyrna who was, who was martyred. Uh, it, during his, that period of time, they were required to offer a sacrifice once a year uh, for the Caesar. In other words, to worship Caesar as a god. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Well, they refused to do it. They were to call Caesar Lord. But the, the Christians, now listen, they submitted to the laws of Caesar. What did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And the Bible teaches us that we're following the law, right? If it says, if it says 55, we're supposed to run, right? We need to brush up on that, amen? <laughs> Apparently. But the Bible says we're supposed to follow the law, right? But, but we're, not, we're not bound down. We're not calling Caesar Lord. We're not offering sacrifices to Rome. So they would not worship Rome. And, and here in Smyrna, I mean, they were so infatuated with Rome, they had a temple that where they would come and worship just Rome itself, not the Caesar, but Rome itself. And so they wouldn't do that. And so because of that, they were under threat of their life by the Roman authorities. And it became a capital offense. That if you would not bow down to Rome, if you would not sacrifice to Caesar, then you'd be executed. So that was one reason that they were being persecuted. The second reason is because they wouldn't bow down to the pagan idols, the ones we just listed, Zeus, Aphrodite, you know, all these, all these different pagan idols. Now here's the deal. There were, there were so many of them, there were so many false temples and false idols that it became entrenched in the public life of the people. In other words, just common day, everyday life, it was surrounded and so intermingled with these idols, and the Christians said, we're not doing that. We're not bowing down, we're not worshiping them, there's only one God, there's only one Lord Jesus Christ, and we're not going to do that. So the people looked at them as religious elitists who were non-social. Now, so what did, what did that make them out to be? A cult. In the people's eyes, Christianity was a cult. And so they were persecuted by the people. Are y'all following me? This, I, this is interesting to me. I hope it's interesting to you because you got to see why they're being persecuted. Okay, the third reason, and this is a huge reason, and it's, and it's mentioned here in these verses. The Jews hated them. If you will notice, during the apostolic period, they were primarily persecuted by the Jews. In this period, they're primarily persecuted by the Romans who were being edged on by the Jews. Go through the book of Acts. How many of y'all remember studying in the book of Acts and everywhere Paul would go, there would be Judaizers coming behind them. And you say, preacher, I don't even know what that means. Okay, let me help you with that. <clears throat> Judaizers were people who were trying to get Christians who were following Christ to go back into Judaism. Okay? Even to the point that there was some that says, yes, believe in Christ, but you got to follow the law of Moses too. Many of the letters Paul wrote was to combat the false doctrine there. It is not by the sacrifices. It is not by the law. It is by grace. Say amen. 
For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't go back to the temple. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. There's no more blood that needs to be shed because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is a better priest, a better covenant, a better sacrifice. Somebody say amen. No need for all of that. And the Jews hated them. Hated them. We have, what did the Jews say? We have no king but Caesar. And so they, they did everything they could to destroy Christianity. Because they believed they were a cult too. So these three reasons, they're being persecuted. I mean, immensely, in an incredible way, they're being persecuted. That's who he's talking to. He says this. Let's go to our notes now. Let's go to our notes. He says, let's, let's look in, in, in verse number 8. Verse number 8. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. All right, let me go back. Let me go back to verse chapter 2, chapter 2, verse number 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. You there with your Bible? Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he. He. Okay? Verse, verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last. All right? Then in verse 12. Verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he. he. Uh, verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. All the same person. Now remember, remember, there was a vision of the resurrected Lord. There was a vision of the glorified Christ in chapter 1. Right? Y'all remember that? Come on, get with me. Y'all didn't eat too much Halloween candy already. I can tell. Come on. Right? There's a vision of the resurrected Lord and in, in a description given of him in chapter 1. A very vivid description. All these things. Well, if you will go at the beginning, and, and that's the way they did it back then. We, we say, dear John, signed so-and-so. It's the exact opposite back then. The writings back then, when they addressed somebody, they said, this is coming from, and then to at the bottom. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he, he is saying who's writing each letter at the beginning. So what he does, what he does is take a different part of the description given in chapter 1 and uses it in the address of the letter to who he's writing to. And you say, why'd he do that? If you will look in the vision, you will see many different descriptions. If you will look in the seven letters, you'll look at many different issues. And so what he does is take a description that's given in chapter 1 and addresses the issue in the letter, which proves and shows that he is the answer to whatever we need. Say amen. Watch. Let me show you. Watch, watch, watch. Watch this. Number one. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. We see the author's presentation. The author's presentation. In other words, how he's presenting himself. This is the one that's writing to you. Church of Smyrna, this is the one writing to you. Persecuted church, this is the one writing to you. Church going through hell on earth, this is the one writing to you. Church being persecuted and killed. They are being martyred. They are losing their life. If they do what a Christian is supposed to do, if they deny bowing to Rome, if they deny offering sacrifices to Rome, they will be killed. Are y'all with me? So Jesus says to those people, let me tell you who's talking to you. What does he say? Look what it says. Verse 8. Under the angel of the church in Smyrna write. Now, now remember, if you're not here, I, forgot, I keep forgetting there's new people here. The angel is the word messenger. Okay? It, we, we believe that is talking to the pastor of the church. This is Jesus speaking to the pastor to address the church. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. You came tonight to hear what God told me to tell you. That's what he's saying. Okay? Now watch, watch. Verse 8. 
These things saith the first and the which was and is. Say amen. The first and the last is the reference given to God in the Old Testament. In other words, first he says, I need you to understand I am God. I am God. I am the first and the last. I am the, watch this, I am the eternal God. I am the God that was here before everything was. I am the God that transcends, listen, transcends time and space. I am the God that was before time began, and I am the God that will be after time ends. Are y'all with me? So no matter what happens to you in this life, in this span of time here on this earth, I am God. But I need you to understand something else. Not only, now we know this is the glorified Christ speaking. This is Jesus speaking and writing this letter. Not only am I God, but I am he that was dead. I came. And the glory, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory. God became flesh. Somebody say amen. Amen. When he was born, they came and offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold representing royalty. Frankincense representing deity. And myrrh representing humanity. Somebody say amen. amen. He became man. And as he became man, as Philippians said, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And he did that so he could be a high priest which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. When he said, I was dead, what is he saying? I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. I know the struggles you have. I know where you're at and what you're feeling. I'm telling you what. I'm glad that I've got a God who knows what I'm going through. I'm glad I've got a God who knows my fears and, and my anxieties and my, and my weaknesses and, and the areas of my life that I struggle with and I don't think I'm going to make it and I don't know what to do. He's saying in the beginning of this letter, I feel you. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't shouting good as I'm preaching. How many of y'all are glad God feels you? When you're struggling, he feels you. When you're weeping, he knows. When you're hurting, he's been there. Lord, he's been where you've been. He's been what you're facing. He said, I know I was dead. But that ain't all. Look at me now. I'm alive. (laughs) See, y'all ain't got it yet. What would be the most encouraging thing to somebody facing death is that they would live again. You know why I don't freak out when I go to a funeral home? You know why I don't get all bent out of shape when I'm standing before a casket even though I'm hurting and even though I'm broken? It's because I know that's not the end. I know that that's just a door to eternity. I know that this is just stepping from one place to the next. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I know what Job knew. And he said, though the skin worms destroy this body of mine, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Somebody say amen. I will live again. Hey, persecuted church. Hey, church facing disaster and facing martyrdom and facing death. You need to understand you're serving a God who's been where you are, who's gone through what you've gone through. I have overcome the world. I have overcome death. Listen, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yes, I'm dead, but I'm alive forevermore. Man, that's some good candy. Amen. Listen here, A, A, the author's presentation reminded them of his trials, his trials. No matter what they went through, they still didn't go through what he went through. That's convicting. Now, I, I, I'm going to be honest, man, I'm going to be transparent. Most Baptist preachers won't do this, but I, you already know me good enough now. I, I, it is what it is. I can get the pooch mouth real easy. Tammy, do I get to feeling sorry for myself sometimes? 
Really? You ain't raised your hand and worship everything I said, but that right there. I'm going to get a pooch mouth now. It's easy to feel like, woe is me. Poor me. Hey, the best of the prophets did too. There was no prophet in the Old Testament like Elijah. As a matter of fact, the best one in the New Testament, John Baptist, came in the spirit of the Old Testament Elijah. And you know what Elijah said? I'm the only one. Come on now. Y'all with me? I get to thinking, feeling sorry for myself, and, and yet the truth be known, there's never, ever going to be another human that ever went through what Jesus went through, especially on our behalf. But with his address, with his address to this church, he says, I, I need you to know who I am. I need you to understand before I tell you some encouragement, you need to know who's writing to you. Because I've been where you are. And I've overcome it. He said, I was dead, but I am alive. So he reminded them in his address, his presentation of himself, of his trials, but also his triumph. Write that down. His triumph. <clears throat> Hebrews 4.15 for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Watch this here. I love this one. Hebrews 2.18. It's right there in your notes. Hebrews 2.18. For in that he himself has suffered, he himself, Jesus, the Christ, the one who is authoring this letter, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is, what's that word? Amen. Come on, guys. He is Amen. able to succor them that are tempted. In other words, he can help us in our trial. Why? Because he, he has been, he has suffered. He has gone through it. And all God's people see it. We see the author's presentation, verse number 8. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Does that make sense? Yes. He takes a part of, of the description given in one. Why? Because that's what they needed to hear. They needed to understand who was writing to them. Then verse 9. I know thy works. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. I know thy works, thy tribulation, and poverty. Now, now you've got to understand, the word here for poverty is not just having a need. I mean, some of us, some of us think we're, we're in poverty. <clears throat> and and probably, probably when you consider, when you consider the rest of America or a lot of America, some of you in here may be in that area. But when you, when you compare it to the rest of the world, most of us in here are wealthy. But, but it doesn't mean you just don't have much. That's not what this means. It literally means they had nothing. Some of them were even slaves. And because of their profession of faith, because of their trust in Christ and, and their belief in Christ, and they refused to, to, to bow down to Rome or they refused to, to worship the, the false idols and, and, and the pagan gods, they had been stripped of everything. All of their possessions. Not just that, not just that, but to the point they could not work. Because you remember, it was so socially integrated that if you did not worship and participate in the pagan worship, in the pagan idolatry, then, then you were an outcast. So you could really not make a living. In other words, these people were suffering immensely, not just 
physically from, from the persecution and, and from all of that, but in great poverty, great need. It's that, and I, you know what? I, even though we're spoiled, and, and I think most of us, we have it a whole lot better off than, 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 than what we think. But there's no, probably nothing worse than being able to take care of yourself or your family. I mean, they're struggling. I mean, it's a day-to-day fight. A day-to-day struggle just to keep your head above water. And then watch what he says. He said, I know your poverty. I I know your financial struggles. I, I, I know what you're facing. I know what you're dealing with. I know all the things that you have lost. But watch this. But thou art rich. Now, to really get this, you got to jump on over a few letters to Laodicea. Laodicea, it says, you've got many possessions, you've got much wealth, you've got the stuff, you've got the buildings, you've got all this stuff, and you say, God doesn't say it, they said it, you say, I am rich. But Jesus says, in my estimation, you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. To Smyrna, he says, this is the rich, poor church. To Laodicea, it is the poor, rich church. In other words, when you see it through God's eyes, if you are saved, if you are committed, if you are faithful, you are rich beyond your understanding because there's something on your side that you can't see on this side and you're laying treasures up in heaven that nobody can take away. Oh, I've got stuff. Don't pay taxes and see how long you keep it. That means it ain't yours. Well, guess what? Paul says, I, I, I count all of the possessions I had. Paul was a wealthy man. Everything he had, he says, I've I've lost it all, but I counted but dung that I might win Christ. He says, you're wealthy. Be faithful. Be committed. Stay in there. Listen, he he tells them. He warns them. In this next verse, he says in in verse 9, he says, I know. I know your poverty, but you're really rich. If you could only see what's waiting on you. If you could only see the, the riches that you are building up in glory by your commitment, by your faithfulness. He said, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are they are the synagogue of Satan? Now, who are these people? Some, the, some, some writers will try to say that these are Gentiles who claim to be Jews. and, and that, I don't believe that's what that is. <clears throat> I believe it's true Jewish people who are fighting against real Christianity. He calls them the synagogue of Satan. Now let's think about that a minute. Let's think about that a minute. He calls it blasphemy. And blasphemy literally means to talk or speak injuriously toward God. Okay? And if the Jews, the Jews, God's people... And they're still God's people, y'all. God's still got a plan for them. He's not done with them. There's still a plan. Anyway, that's a whole other message. But he came into his own, and his own received him not. They rejected their Messiah. You with me? Now, their Messiah, this, this is where we begin. This is where true religion is. This is where the presence of God is. This is where the plan of God is. But they are still trying to follow old Judaism. They are still trying to follow... Now, here's, and basically, here's what we do. A set of rules. 
They have a form of godliness. They have rules and regulations and all that stuff to go by. A form of godliness, but they deny the... Why? The letter of the law killeth. It is the spirit of the word. Are y'all with me? They have no spirit. There is no spirit in it. The spirit is in Christ. It's not in the temple anymore. Are y'all with me? The Holy Spirit is in Christ. What the presence of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the will of God is in Christianity, is in disciples following Christ. And if you choose not to follow Christ, he is equal. He is putting you on the same level as a Satan worshiper. You know what that's telling me? There's only two sides. There's God's side and everything else. Jesus said, I am the way, not one way, not a way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. me. But I'm telling you, go through the Acts. Go, go through Acts. Look how many times they tried to kill Paul, the Judaizers. The Jews trying to stop. So why would they do that? Because every time that Christianity was magnified, it magnified their guilt. Church, say amen. Amen. We see their persecution. We see their persecution. The affliction is prophesied. Number two. The affliction is prophesied. He says in verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Ten days. Two things I want you to write down under the affliction prophesied. First, persecution, and then poverty. The slander goes with persecution. Persecution, poverty. In other words, he's saying things are about to get worse. Things are about to get worse. Now, for the primary application for the church of Smyrna, I believe, I believe there, is a, there is a situation where 10 days is a literal 10 days for the church of Smyrna. And I'm going to give you the prophetic application here in just a minute. But either way, he is saying, you're going to go through some really difficult times, some really serious persecution, but it's going to be temporary. It's going to be temporary. In other words, just hang on. Are you all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, now, here's what I want to, I want to give you. <clears throat> We're going to go through this, guys. Now, if you, if, if you will watch a lot of Christian TV, when I put quotes around that, you're going to hear a lot of pie in the sky, by and by. If, if you're living right, you're going to have God's favor, your, your best life now, and everything's great, and you're going to have wealth, and you're going to... It, Tell that to Polycarp. Tell that to John and tell that to James and tell that to Luke. There's something, uh, let's, let's just go to Scripture. Let's go to Scripture. John 16, 33. It's right there in your notes. Let's do it quick because I, I want to tell you about Polycarp. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have in the world, you're going to have be of good cheer. I have. 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all. How many? How many? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? But evil men and seducers shall wax what? Worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Matthew 13.5-6. Some fell upon stony places. We know this is the story of the seed being sown. Where they had not much earth, and forward they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, and they withered away. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, 
and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is. Now what that means is this. It doesn't mean that he was saved and he lost it because he left it when, he, when the persecution came. The persecution and tribulation, all it will do, all it will do to the Christian is reveal who the real Christian is. Tribulation worketh patience. And that word can be used for endurance. What does it mean? I, I, remember, hearing, I remember hearing Brother Wooten, one, one of, one of my, my, I guess he would be like a grandpa pastor, right? I mean, he was your pastor, that's who you got saved. I would hear him use the word, the perseverance of the saints a lot. And what he meant by that is that if you are a true child of God, you will persevere. And all tribulation will do is reveal the real deal. In other words, if you hang to the end, you had the real deal. If you didn't, if you didn't, it just revealed that you did not have genuine faith. Now here's, here's something for you. I, 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 read, I read Polycarp. I'm going to read it to you. And I'm thinking to myself, Ooh, man, I hope I can do that. I hope my faith is so, so strong at a point of persecution that we may endure and may have to go through here on this earth in, in America one day that I could do what he did, but I was a little nervous, y'all. And you're going to be too when you read it and you hear it. But God reminded me the grace that he had to be burned at the stake, you ain't going to have it unless you're going to be burned at the stake. And at this point, I ain't got it. <clears throat> Does that make sense? God gives grace on a needed basis. Uh, anyway, anyway. Let me, let me, let me, let me. All right, now, now just, just sit there and listen a minute. <clears throat> just sit there and listen a minute. Here's the story of Polycarp. Well, no, no, no. Let me give you the other two and we'll come back to that. Let me give you this one because I, I see my time is... Getting crazy on me again. All right, what was number one? We see the, number one, the author's presentation. The author's presentation. Number two, we see the, the affliction prophesied. He says things are fixing to get bad. And it's already bad, but it's going to get worse. But then I want you to see number three, the appeal that's proclaimed. The appeal, the appeal that's proclaimed. What does he say? <clears throat> Look what he says. After he says there's going to be a time of intense persecution, you're going to go through difficulty, Satan's going to fight against you, you're going to do prison time, you're going to go through tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death. Unto death. That means you're, you're going to die. Don't, don't be faithless. When you face... When you face the sword to have your head cut off, when you face the stake to be burned at the stake, when you face going to wild animals, be faithful. And I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Two things I want you to write down in this appeal. To be convinced... And to be committed. And I want to read what G. Campbell Morgan said. To be convinced and to be committed. And by the way, you will not be committed unless you're truly convinced. That's a fact. Now watch. G. Campbell Morgan points out that the word faithful here is from the root which means convinced. In chapter 1, verse 5, Christ is said to be faithful. Thus, the faithfulness of the saints rests in the faithfulness of the Savior. Christ is not telling them to keep a stiff upper lip. In other words, he's not saying, tough it out. What's he saying? He is telling them to trust and depend on him. Let him be their and their courage. He is saying, you're not going to go through this alone. He's not saying, do the best you can. 
Hold on with all you got. Right? He's not saying tie a, a knot. And you know what you hear to say uh, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. That's not what he's saying. He is addressing him as the first and the last, the one that was dead and is now alive. And now he is saying, be convinced in me. Know, truly know and have faith in me, the one who has power over life and death. Be convinced in my ability. Be convinced in my will for your life because if you are convinced, you will be committed. And I'll show you that in Polycarp's testimony. This is is the writings of the testimony of Polycarp. Polycarp was the the pastor in Smyrna. Okay? When when they, they were under this great persecution and this great uh, trial of affliction that they were going through. So, so this is a little bit of reading, so just sit back just a second, and then we'll, I'm going to give you some more stuff. Polycarp was the, the bishop of Smyrna today, which is the city of Izmir in west coast of Turkey. He was part of the generation of church leaders who succeeded the apostles. According to one tradition, he was taught by the apostle John and was appointed to his office by the apostles themselves. In other words, he was a disciple, uh, 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 John, the Apostle John, who is writing Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is a mentor to Polycarp. Now, we owe the account of Polycarp's death to the Christians of Smyrna who wrote it uh, as a letter and circulated it to all the churches to tell the world of what they witnessed and what they saw in Polycarp's character and his relationship with the Lord. His death... His apparent defeat of his death became a triumphant witness to the resurrection. Watch this. Polycarp was martyred before the period of the great persecutions organized by Rome by the emperor like Diocletian. His story reveals the tensions that were already building up through the empire. As Christians rejected the gods and goddesses that everyone else was worshiping, the pagans called the Christians atheists. Now today, we we call people atheists that don't believe in God. Well, the Romans and the people of Smyrna called Christians atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods and, and all the, the pagan gods. If that makes sense, say amen. Because when, you, when you're going to hear something, you know, down with the atheists. Now, if you keep in mind what you think, we're talking about people that don't believe in God. That's not it. That the Christians were being called atheists because they didn't believe in the pagan Roman gods. If that, if that makes sense, say amen. Now, watch. <clears throat> all right. The Christians were called this for their apparent lack of religious feeling. But as Polycarp made clear to a Roman government official, the real atheists are those who don't worship the one true God. As the story opens in this adaption of the martyrdom of Polycarp, a local persecution of Christians had begun. Some of Smyrna's Christians have already been put to death, and search parties have been looking for the bishop, who had been persuaded, didn't want to go, but he was persuaded to do the prudent thing and leave town. Someone had tipped off the pursuers that Polycarp was hiding out in a farmhouse in the country. The mounted police set out on Friday about supper time, and they carried their usual weapons as if they were advancing on a bandit. Late in the evening, they arrived to arrest Polycarp, and they found that he was resting upstairs. And he could have escaped again to another place, but he decided to stay, and he said, God's will be done. When Polycarp heard that the police were there, he went downstairs and talked with them. Everyone was amazed at his age and his courage because he was almost 90 years old. And his courage and wondered why there would be so much haste about arresting an old man like this. Despite the lateness of the hour, he had a table set for them to eat and to drink and gave them as much as they desired. He asked them to give him an hour to pray undisturbed and so they agreed. And so Polycarp stood right there in, in the middle of all of them and he prayed out loud. And he was so filled with the grace of God that for two hours he could not be silent. Those who listened were astounded, and many were sorry that they had come to arrest such a venerable old man. When Polycarp had finished his prayer, after remembering everyone who had ever crossed his path, both small and great, high and low, and the whole church throughout the whole world, the time came for him to leave. And they set him on an ass and led him into the city. Save yourself, the chief of police named Herod said. His father, Nikitas, met Polycarp there and took him into their carriage. And sitting beside him, they tried to persuade him to change his mind. They said, what harm? What harm is there in saying, Lord Caesar, 
and offering sacrifice and saving yourself from death. At first, Polycarp did not answer them. But when they kept at it, he said, I am not going to do what you advise. Then they gave up trying to persuade him and began to make threats. Maybe that would work. They forced him out of the carriage so fast that he scraped his shin getting out. And without even turning around as though he had felt nothing, Polycarp walked on quickly and was taken to the noisy stadium. As he entered, <clears throat> as he entered, a voice from heaven came to him, Be strong, Polycarp, and act like a man. No one saw the speaker, but our friends who were there heard the voice. Polycarp was brought before the proconsul. He also tried to persuade him to deny the faith. Respect your age, he said. Swear by the divine power of Caesar. Change your mind. Say away with these atheists. Talking about Christians. But Polycarp, with a solemn look at the unruly mob, the mob in the stadium, the unruly mob in the stadium, he pointed to them and he looked up to heaven and said, away with these atheists. Did you get it? Way to go, Polycarp. The proconsul didn't like it. He urged him harder. Take the oath and I'll let you go. Curse Christ. Polycarp said, 86 years have I served him. And he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? When the proconsul kept insisting, swear by the divine power of Caesar, Polycarp answered, If you vainly suppose that I will swear by the divine power of Caesar as you say, and if you pretend that you don't know who I am, listen plainly. I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn the Christian message, arrange a meeting and give me a hearing. He's witnessing to the guy. The proconsul said, I have wild animals. I'll throw you to them unless you change your mind. Call them in. That was Polycarp. Get them. For we are not allowed to change from something better to something worse. The proconsul says, scorn the wild beast and I'll have you burned alive if you don't change your mind. Polycarp said, you threaten with fire that burns for a short time and is soon quenched? You don't know about the fire of the coming judgment, eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. But why are you waiting? Come do what you will. He's saying, come on. Polycarp radiated courage and joy as he said these things and many others. Not only did his face show no sign of distress, it was so full of grace that the proconsul was astonished and sent his herald into the middle of the arena three times to announce Polycarp has declared that he is a Christian. At the herald's announcement, the whole crowd roared with wild anger and a loud cry. This is the father of Christians, the destroyer of our gods, who teaches many to stop offering sacrifices to gods. Shouting out with one voice, they demanded that Polycarp be burned alive. This happened incredibly fast, faster than it takes to tell the story. The mob hurried to gather wood and kindling from shops and bathhouses. And, and when the pyre was ready, Polycarp took off his outer clothes, unfastened his belt, and he tried to take off his shoes. Immediately, they began to pile the wood around him. And they were going to nail him to the stake as well. But Polycarp said, leave me the way I am. He who gives me power to endure the fire will help me to remain in the flames without moving even without being secured by the nails. Somebody say amen. So Polycarp put his hands behind him and was bound. And like a noble ram out of a great flock ready for sacrifice, a burnt offering prepared and pleasing to God. Looking up to heaven, he said, Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed child Jesus Christ, through whom we have received full knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and of all creation, of all the whole family of the righteous who live before you. I bless you. I bless you for considering me worthy of this day and hour of sharing with the martyrs in the cup of your Christ so as to share in resurrection to everlasting life of soul and body and the Holy Spirit. May I be received among them into your presence today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. For this and for everything I praise and glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved child through whom, through him and with him, may you be glorified with the Holy Spirit both now and forever. Amen.
When he had thus said the amen and finished his prayer, the men in charge of the fire lit it and a great flame blazed up. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what was said. He stood inside it. He stood inside it. And not as burning flesh, but it seemed as bread that is being baked, or as gold and silver being refined in a furnace. And we smelled a fragrant aroma like the scent of incense or other costly spices. When the fire was not doing the job, someone reached in with a dagger. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. He had grace and strength in the time of need, in the time of his own death and persecution. Why? Because his, his, he was convinced, he was convinced, say that with me, he was in the one who was dead and is now alive. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Whatever we go through, hold up, hold up, I got some more. Whatever we go through, whatever you face, whatever your trial is on this earth, and we all got them, and they're all different, you can trust him. You can trust him. Now, let me give you the, the prophetic. Let me give you the prophetic outline. In other words, the time period uh, that we are facing in, here in Smyrna. The Smyrna church was the period in church history <clears throat> that followed the apostolic age. It was probably the greatest time of persecution the church of Christ had ever known. Satan unleashed a violent attack on the church in an effort to obliterate it. For it became evident to him that the apostolic church... And, and by the way, before I say this, I, I forgot something. Do you remember at the end of the letter to Ephesus, he said, Repent, uh, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and return to thy first, or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place? You remember that? In other words, Jesus was saying he was threatening to shut the church down. Do you realize there's no trace of that church now in Ephesus? But there still are Christians in Izmir, which is modern-day Izmir, Turkey, which was Smyrna. The church that was lukewarm, excuse me, not lukewarm, that had left their first love, there's no existence now. But the church that was persecuted persevered. And they're still there. Anyway, watch. You, you, you need to know that. You need to know that. Satan has he's unleashed a violent attack. He's going to destroy the church. It has become a serious threat to his worldwide empire. But he was unsuccessful in this attempt as we study, especially we'll get to next week. The more he persecuted the church during this period, the more the church overcame the one condemning characteristic of the apostolic age, that of having left its first love. Think about that. The more God's people are persecuted, the more they love their Christ. And the more they love their Christ, the more power they have and the more patience they have. Mm. Not one word of condemnation was hurled by Christ to this church. Only two letters, by the way, had no condemnation. Smyrna and, and Philadelphia. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now watch. <clears throat> Persecution will not stamp out the church of Christ. It will just make it grow. Consequently, the age ending or ended with the easing of persecution. Why? Satan realized persecution is making it worse. I'm going to get them to, I'm going to get them to compromise. And that's what we're going to talk about next letter. Now here's, here's the time period. Look what it says in verse number, verse number 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation how many days? Okay, some writers believe this is the ten different Roman rulers that were, that were persecuting the church. The, the edicts of Rome... These ten different ones, Nero, Domitian, Trajan, Marcus Aurelius, Severus, Maximus, uh, Decius, Valerian, Aurelian, and Diocletian. Some believe it's those ten. 
Paul was killed during that time. Peter was killed during that time. John exiled. Ignatius burned at the stake. Polycarp burned at the stake. Justin Martyr was killed and his head cut off during this period of time. Some believe, some believe, now I'm not dogmatic on any of this, but I'm just giving you the information from Bible scholars. Some believe the 10 days represents the 10 years under Diocletian, which was the worst out of all of them. So it could either be the 10 Roman rulers and the 10 uh, different periods that, that the church was persecuted immensely during these 10 different Caesars or the last one, Diocletian, who ruled exactly 10 years. If that makes sense, say amen. Diocletian is considered the worst emperor in Rome's history and the greatest antagonist of Christian faith. He led a violent attempt to destroy the Bible from the face of the earth, and under his leadership, many Roman cities had public burnings of the sacred scriptures. During the second and third centuries, this persecution age saw hundreds of Christians brought into the amphitheater of Rome to be fed to hungry lions with thousands of spectators cheering. Many were crucified. Others were covered with animal skins and tortured to death by wild dogs. They were covered with tar and set on fire to serve as torches. They were boiled in oil and burned at the stake, as with Polycarp in the city of Smyrna itself in AD 150, it was 155. One church historian has estimated that during this period of time, the persecuted church age, more than 5 million Christians were martyred for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this, this happened. This happened. He said, you shall, be, you shall be in tribulation ten days. And this period went all the way up to Constantine. And the devil changed his tactic. How many of y'all remember when, when, when the Pharaoh in Egypt persecuted the Jews and, and God's people, they kept multiplying? He said, this ain't working. How many of y'all know in the book of Acts when, when, when the church was being persecuted in the beginning? Remember when Saul was there when Stephen was killed? And Saul was wreaking havoc on the church. The church was exploding. Why? Persecution makes the church grow. When the church goes through good times, we get lazy. You know why? We don't need him. But when you don't know... When you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, what are you going to do? Pray. When you're facing great difficulty, what are you going to do? And the closer you get to God, the purer you get. And the stronger you get. That's why you see the church. The church is exploding in America. Excuse me. Back up, back up, back up. I misquoted that. I was, I was at a conference one, one night and... And the speaker said, what's the fastest growing religion in the world? And, and everybody said this. Everybody said, Islam. He said, no, that's in America. He said, I said the world. I thought, Islam. He said, Christianity. But not, not in places where it's easy. It's in places where it's persecuted. North Korea, Sudan, China, everywhere where it's not easy to be a Christian. Why? They don't care about frivolous things. We, I ain't going to get on all that because I feel just as guilty. Because sometimes I'm more concerned about stuff that really don't matter. But guess what? He's still alive. The church is being persecuted today. Today. But he says, be faithful. Now let me say this. I know I'm over time, but he said, if you'll be faithful, you'll not be victim of the second death. Y'all remember that? I think it's verse 11 or 10. 10 or 11. I think it's 11. What is that? For the saved, if Jesus tarries is coming, you're going to die one time. For the lost, if you'll remember, in the end of Revelation, we're going to get there one day in a couple years. <laughs> 
<coughs> Brandy asked me this this afternoon, uh, how long is this going to take, Dad? I said, maybe a couple years. She said, really? <laughs> I don't know. It took that long with John. But one day we're going to get there. Amen. And the Bible says, and the dead, small and great. Right? right? And death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And what he is saying, if your faith is genuine, if you are a believer in Christ, you may die one time, but you will live again. If you are an overcomer, if your faith is genuine, you ain't got to worry about that second death. And all God's people say it. All right, all right. Now, uh, I don't know what our excuse is going to be tonight. <clears throat> But make up a good one before you get there, because it cannot be my fault. Say amen. All right, let's stand. Let's stand. We're going.